Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, if you haven't heard of someone called James Warburton, you're about to. The CEO of Seven West Media is with us in the studio. Buckle up, because uh, I'm sure he's about to say some things. Welcome, James. The upfronts, your upfronts for last week, surprised a few people, actually, in my conversations in the market, where you had a little bit of a crack at Seven about being a little bit stagnant and tired, and there was a new programming slate, and it got a lot of interest. So with such a, a lineup that you showed on stage, how much of that was in train before you got there and how much did you have to do with it? Because it seems like if it was you, you've moved very, very quickly. There's a lot there. Well, thanks, Paul, and, and good morning. Um, look, you know, I think the first thing is we, we were really happy with the response we got to the, you know, to the upfronts and, you know, that, that was important. Uh, first thing we had to do was remind everyone of an, our inherent strength. And so we've probably been really passive sitting back and everyone's been having a crack at us. Yet when you look at the strength of the schedule and, you know, and we showed that uh, at, at the upfronts, uh, we've had a, you know, not a bad year really from the point of view that, um, you know, we're strong in our schedule, but we've had this problem with our tent poles. So Sunday to Tuesday has been our problem, 7.30 PM. And that's where we've been weak. Uh, we called that out totally transparently. And, you know, I think the big change in the focus for us is that we've got, you know, 52 weeks, 7.30 PM and an absolute focus Sunday through Thursday with Friday, obviously having better homes and gardens in it. So with that, we went to market um, straight away, you know, literally the, the day I was appointed, you know, with Angus and, you know, the whole programming team. And, the, you know, the change in strategy, I suppose you could say in many senses, is, is we went to all the key production companies. So a lot of what we announced are established formats, you know, formats and big shows that people know. And, um, you know, we've made those bets and, and uh, you know, sort of put those programs together. And so, you know, we've got a lot of work to do in executing them. So, you know, you've still got to get hosts and talent and judges and, you know, sort of put the ingredients together. But the fact that the market saw, you know, the strategy and, you know, we got some big stars, announced some big stars with Matt Preston and, and Gary Megan and, you know, put that together, you know, I think shows the strength of what we can do. Let's go to the ex-MasterChef talent. That wasn't in train before you got to seven. Oh, look, people have been chatting and talking about it and thinking about it, but no one had acted. And so, you know, what people forget is that I did um, Gary and Matt's last deal when I was at 10. So I know the guys, you know, well. Um, there's a huge amount of trust. And what people will see when the deal's finally announced, you know, as they're still on gardening leave, um, you know, is there, there's a really good back-end studio arrangement. So we're already making stuff um, for Matt in India. He's huge in India. And that will be a good, um, you know, profitable experience for both of us in the back-end. So he gets a share of, you know, the shows he does and everything else. And so a lot of people are wanting to come to Seven because we are making shows for Facebook, for Netflix, for Amazon, and, you know, for, for, for other networks, you know, sort of around the globe. And I think that's the model that's really changing. So, yes, I text them the day I was appointed and said, want you on board? And then we moved very, very quickly. You, you did show uh, a lot of external production partners at the upfronts. And that's another shift for Seven because your Seven Studios has been a big focus and in internally producing and, and, and creating stuff. Why'd you do that? Why'd you go outside? Well, again, I mean, you know, like I was <laughs> called it out specifically, we've had too many program failures. And so, you know, we've tried to do a whole range of things ourselves. And I talked about being inward focused and you have to go outside and find the right formats and, and, uh, and deal with, you know, sort of some of Australia's best production companies. And so 
takes the pressure off having to come up with formats. It's not to say we haven't had successes. You know, My Kitchen Rules and House Rules, you know, continue a lot of our dramas um, will continue to be made, obviously, by Seven Studios. But, you know, for now, we have to have a schedule that we can develop and some formats that we can stick with. Let's go to the market. It's a really, really tough market out there. It's tricky. The hope was that the December quarter would show a turnaround and whether that was just a, a great hope and that's where it stopped. What do you see for the final quarter, the December quarter? And then Kurt Burnett said on stage that uh, he predicted that there would be a, a big upturn next next year in the in the market. So what are you hearing? What are the conversations? It's certainly been tough through October and November. You know, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, you know, probably in our case, it's a little bit of share based on current ratings. December for us looks really quite positive. We've got cricket, so maybe it's an isolated incidence, but... I think next year, everyone's been relatively conservative. You know, the fact that we've effectively got 11 companies already on, you know, the Olympic Games uh, is probably the earliest it's ever been. We've opened it up to the casual market, you know, the earliest we ever have. And so what we're seeing is, you know, people really, you know, sort of piling into, you know, that July period, which is interesting. And then all of our, you know, tent poles and all our renewals on things like my kitchen rules and house rules. And we've said for our fiscal, you know, in our guidance, we've said that we think it'll be low single digit decline for the, you know, for, for the fiscal year. So, you know. Uh, for the market or for you? For the market. Yeah. 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 And that, but that's the trend line, right? And this is the, I guess this is the, the great discussion point is television in terms of audiences and revenue is contracting. Ultimately, the big picture it's contracting. Now, would that be your view on, on the television and broadcast sector in terms of revenue and audiences or is it something different? Do you see, do you see optimism to grow? Certainly see optimism for us in terms of what we're doing. I mean, you know, what, what I would counter that with, Paul, is to say, who's talked it up? So in the last two or three years, and certainly what I've been sitting out, you know, I haven't seen any, you know, media executive, any agency head, I haven't seen anyone out there talking it up, you know, talking up how, um, you know, mainstream media works, you know, how the combination with, you know, sort of BVOD and, you know, sort of this new Vols service coming, I think was a bit of a game changer for us. But, you know, no one's out there talking it up. Well, I think think, think TV might argue they've been trying. Yeah, yeah, and and they do a fantastic job. But I think it's different when you can put absolute case studies on the table, you know, that show demonstrative, you know, tur- turbocharging results, you know, getting demonstrative return, you know, for, for clients. And we had a little bit of that in our upfronts, you know, with a, with a few case studies. And so I think that's really our focus and, and our job as an industry, of course. But, you know, for us with our proposed prime merger, you know, we've got a real shot to go and talk to marketers. And so, so you say I talk to, you know, I talk to marketers and I do because you've got to understand the problem. You've got to understand what their issues are. You have to understand what they need when they go to market. And if you back yourself and if you back your medium to deliver, you will create great endearing relationships with them going forward. But this growth you talk about, James, though, the growth is because you see you can take some share and some off your rivals or is it is it industry? And it gets us to this notion of who you see as your competitive set, right? So typically, and you still see it now, broadcasters talking to broadcasters about broadcasting or competing uh, with each other uh, around the broadcast sector. Uh, isn't big tech coming to eat your lunch? And and does that reframe uh, what you see as uh, the market you're playing in and who you're fighting? Well, you know, I think for us, I mean, for, you know, first things first, you know, like a SharePoint, you know, nationally is $33 million. So broadcasters are always going to you know, argue between themselves. Turf wars all the time. Yeah, of course, of course. And it will be around talent and it will be around shows. It'll be, you know, around all that kinds of stuff. I think that's situation normal. And I think that's actually ultimately quite good for the industry in in many senses because it puts it front and centre. And then I think secondly for us, I mean, any one 
spending on any other medium for us as a competitor. So whether it's the tech giants or whether it's anyone else, our, our job is to make sure the top 100 advertisers have been the, pretty much the same for the last 20 years, you know, sort of FMCG driving, retail driving and, and, and those types of things. So, you know, if you are getting $20 million, you know, roughly from, from, the, from your top 20, then you have to have outstanding relationships with those and you need to know how you can continue to grow your share of it by getting them into something like the AFL or getting them into the Olympics or, you know, whatever the strategy might be. It's not a difficult science in terms of in terms of what we do. But you do say that, James. You say you, you do talk to marketers and you've got to know what they want. What are they telling you they want? Because it's certainly uh, the behaviour that where the money's going would suggest that they want – more data, they want more targeting, they want more authenticated IDs, they want to um, do all the, all that stuff that the technology companies have done and driven so well. So if that's the case, you could argue that Sevens, uh, you know, has been behind the eight ball on some of that stuff, even versus your competitors like Nine. What do you say to that? Look, I don't think there's any doubt from a systems point of view we've been behind the eight ball. And so, you know, our job is to catch up really quickly. We talk about being the easiest to deal with, you know, and I think, you know, Kurt, went a long way to addressing that with code seven, you know, you, you want it, we, you, you, you buy it, we deliver it and end of story. And so that sort of was very well received in the market, you know, and I think in terms of the rest of it, I mean, we had to unpick Yahoo seven, you know, so we were slower in terms of unpicking Yahoo seven. And that was obviously difficult across the board with Pacific magazines and obviously seven. And then, you know, we have been in a catch up mode. I think the difference with data is everyone talks about data. And I saw this at APN, everyone talks about it, but at the end of the day, there's no kind of like uniform, you know, sort of blanket. And I think we'd all be better as an industry to work out what clients truly want or need and put it together in terms of, you know, sort of, you know, the industry working together with one solution versus having a solution from each, you know, player all the way through. Well, this gets us to clearly the conversation, one of your old foes in, in Anthony Fitzgerald, who came out last week in MI3 saying that if the industry doesn't collaborate on systems, on data, on audience, on new measurement, it's essentially doomed because you will not compete midterm with with some of the with some of the initiatives coming out of technology companies. Is the industry really capable of actually doing some deep collaboration, or is it just more semantics? And uh, you know, I think you've you've had a crack at me before. I recall back in ten years ago at, at Freeview when there was the opportunity for the broadcast industry to get together and do a white labelled Hulu or something like that on the programming, a single stop for people to go and view all the shows. Now, at the time, the rumblings were that you blocked it. You, you nod your head and go, that's not the case. But there's, a, there's an early example of where it didn't happen and does it need to happen now and can it happen? Well, firstly, we need Fitzy back. Like, you know, Fitz, Fitz is awesome. He's a great competitor. I think he's actually been really good for the industry in terms of talking things up. So hope he gets back. He says he's not, which, you know, which I think would be disappointing. Terrible competitor because he's bloody good. So, you know, like we never enjoyed competing with him. Um, but yeah, look, he, look, he's right in some ways, but you know, this, this whole notion of doom, I think is one that, you know, just, I just refuse to accept it. You know, so this doom, the industry is doomed. If this happens, it's doomed. It's bullshit. We've got incredible strength in what we deliver and what we've got to do is just, we've got to get out there. We've got to sell it. We've got to sell it really hard and, and be better around it. Notwithstanding the fact that we are still doing, you know, being out of seven for six years, coming back. And they were still doing some things the way we've been doing them. We've got a lot of people anchored to the desks, the young assistants anchored to their desks, doing pretty remedial tasks. You just shake your head. So that's, you know, that's the stuff in terms of buy-side platforms, demand platforms. But then every single agency CEO I talk to wants something different. 
you know, the industry is supposed to be together on it, but there seems to be two schools of thought. You know, nine want to do it with, you know, their, their system, but I don't think everyone totally agrees with that. You know, there's other technology people are talking about. So, so my point is, what does the MFA want? It's the Media Federation, yeah. And how can we, you know, sort of plug into that? You know, ideally, would we have, you know, would everything else be common in, in, in its platform? Highly unlikely because people will always think they have a competitive advantage. But here's the thing. Um, you say, what does the MFA want? And that's a circle that's been going around for, you You know, f- since you were a boy. And you're not going to get consensus. And, in fact, if you look at the lessons from what how, how, how technology, the big tech players do it, they don't they, – they say this is how it is. The, your self-service platform, this is how it works. So if the broadcasters, if the television networks actually got together and said, this, not what do you want, this is how it's going to work because it is, actually is better – and you force that on the market because there wouldn't be an alternative. Does any does, do, do any of you have the uh, courage uh, to to uh, make that happen? Because that's how big tech's operating. They don't, they don't actually. <laughs> funnily enough, they don't listen. They just do. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, look, it's a different situation for them in how they interact and you know what they do and you know how quickly it's been built. So, you know, like I mean, the industry's working, Paul. I mean, the industry's working towards it. But, uh, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see where it gets to. If Galaxy at nine is what's being proposed by nine as a trading platform for the whole market, you, you'll back that. You'll back nine and Galaxy if the market wants it. If everyone agrees, then that's what we'll do. If they don't, are we going to go around in circles? I think so. So, therefore, that's then when James Warburton kicks in and goes, right, we'll do it ourselves because that's pretty much what you're good at doing, right? Well, we can make stuff happen. But, you know, like, I mean, you know, for me, I mean, the greatest catch-up for us in the system is to, you know, and it happened when I was at AP and Outdoor. I rang up Brendan Cook and I said, Brendan, we're behind in systems, I'll write a check. And we're in a similar situation and I'm looking at our competitors and I'm saying, we'll go in your system, how can we do it? We'll write a check. Because it's fair enough, James, you say you, some, no one's talking it up, no one's selling it, you need to go in harder. That's all true, but if it's hard to buy and it doesn't deliver the the segmentation and the targeting that the market wants, even great programming is not going to do it if the market's ultimately going to another place. And I could, that's, the that's I guess, the frustration I've seen for a long time with broadcast. So much opportunity and not capturing it properly yet. And, and I, I guess in 12 months' time, if we look in 12 months' time, what's your hunch on what, what, it, what it will look like? I mean, I think Voz is a game changer. Voz for us is a real game changer. And Voz, for those that don't know, is, is a research product that's going to allow advertisers to get reach across broadcast linear and digital and segment along a bunch of audience segments, right? That's pretty much what it does. You know, where the broadcasters have been, you know, ahead of the game is in this development of the BVOD strategies, in some cases SVOD strategy. We're uh, very keen to obviously have a much more robust SVOD strategy. You know, VOZ gives us an opportunity to really piece it together in a, in, in, a, in a much better way. Are you saying that you'll look at a subscription video on demand service and an advertising video on demand service and you might do both? Absolutely. So what does it look like for Seven in terms of an SVOD service as partnering with someone else, are you saying? Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, so whether it's a JV or whether it's you know just just a promotional aspect, you know, with you know with uh, you know with ownership, you know, how, however that would work. And so we're talking to all the services launching. You know, we're pretty clean when you think about it. You know, so if you go to, you know, news, they're going to promote Foxtel. If you go to nine, they're going to promote Stan. If you go to ten, they're going to promote the CBS product. So where are you going to actually launch? So where does Disney launch? And what happens? So how much do they spend? Where does it get to go? Do they care about Australia? You know, in in overall numbers. What about the telcos that don't have a strategy, you know, beyond, um, you know, sort of telecommunications? So there's a whole range of people that we're talking to 
to basically build something. Is it a promotion alliance or is it will it have equity? Is it a, is it, it's a joint venture? You, you'll be open to joint ventures and so Absolutely. forth. Absolutely. So timing on that, when do you think something you might land? Well, it's, you know, again, I mean, we're, you know, we're turning over a lot of rocks, talking to a lot of people. What's your sense? My sense is we need to see a few things play out, you know, so I think it's medium term, you know, which, you know, medium term is about six months. <laughs> yes, for you it is anyway. That's right. So you, you mentioned some of the streaming services. What do you see happening with SVOD and this notion that ultimately viewers are declining in linear because there's ad-free services, there's, it's on demand, you can get what you want when you want. Ominous? And, and how ominous for an ad-funded product anyway? Well, I think it's interesting. I think there's 12 launching. There's too many. They're not going to survive and I think a few are going to get bruised knees. And so for us that creates opportunity, you know, in terms of being able to promote. But it is going to dilute the audience, right? That's But this is the thing. So what is the, the outlook for an advertising video on demand service rather than a subscription base. So an ad funded, because ultimately, even with you say, they're not, not going to survive, they are still going to chip away at the audiences that are available to linear TV. And how much of a concern is it? Oh, I think it's been happening for years that Paul. I mean, you know, like when, when you think about what we had and then you had multi-channels and, you know, then obviously Foxtel, you know, got, got into a level of penetration and MCN came to market and, you know, they started at low numbers and, you know, now is up to, you know, relatively significant number in terms of ad revenue. So, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, for us, it's always about promoting our platforms and our reach. And so as the market fragments, it still means that we are the biggest and the best at building reach as a medium. And so that's been the case for years. It will continue to be the case. And, you know, I said to, you know, our chairman and to our board, you know, it's not just about, you know, improving ratings and revenue. It's actually about transforming the company and being you know, a hunter and being very hungry for M&A opportunities. And so we see ourselves as building a bigger media group over time. Let's have a couple more points before we wrap up on the advertising market. You were a media agency CEO a long time ago. It's a still a big part of your business. There's a many media companies trying to diversify their their reliance on, on media agencies and those gatekeepers. What do you make of the fortunes of that sector? Oh, I think the agencies do an incredible job. The sophistication of what they do and, and what they deal with only keeps on expanding, you know, yet remuneration stays the same. So I think the agencies are, are doing a good job for, you know, a really good job for the clients. So my question is with, despite we just spent most of this time talking about audiences and programming and shows, is there some fundamental changes required from the overall media sector and marketing to change the language of what's working, what you're measuring and what impact it's having on a brand and directly into a business? Is there some some fundamental changes required there? Yeah, look, I think so, you know, but it's a big range of skill sets and a big range of topics to actually think about changing there. How that happens, I don't know. But it's good to see that there are some good senior marketers, you know, that are prepared to go on camera, um, so to speak, and actually talk up, you know, campaigns and multiplier effects. You know, we had Arnotson and Dave McNeil out at the upfronts, which everyone saw, and he was talking about the multiplier effect. We had Coles with Lisa Ronson, um, you know, KFC. Um, so we had a range of big brands and good brands, you know, talking up that multiplier effect. Because at the end of the day, you know, like, I mean, the big focus needs to be top-line growth, and that's important for all of us. Uh, final one, AdLoads. Um, it's a, it's a favourite one of mine, and I remember talking to you 10 years ago when you were at Seven last time and trying to do something quite – well, I thought it was um, necessary even 10 years ago, and that flopped. Not not from your perspective. The market wouldn't pay or buy it, but 
advertising? Is it eating itself? Is it creating a viewer experience that is increasingly frustrating because there are options, there are ad-free, low-cost subscription options that change the expectation on the viewer to go, I don't have to have ads because I can pay for them and it's cheap. Does the broadcast industry need lower advertising? Will the market buy it? Or is it just a slow road to the valley of death? That was very optimistic. Yeah, wasn't I was. It? I was going to say you, you're always opti- so optimistic about broadcast, Paul. But um, no, look, you know, I mean, we you'll be pleased to know. I mean, we we called them emotional envelopes. You know, back in the day, I think you were the marketing and media writer at the Sydney Morning Herald at the time, and couldn't sell them. Couldn't sell them to anyone. Everyone just looked at you with a blank face, which was disappointing. Um, this time around, a few weeks ago, we did it with Secret Bridesmaids businesses, and it basically said Secret Bridesmaids will be back in one minute, thanks to, and you know, Westpac, I think, was the first ad, and then it had a, a one minute ad came back in. Viewing experience was extraordinary. Like it was great. And so I think that for drama, which is effectively a streaming product now, I think that's probably the model for us to be completely frank with drama going forward if we are, you know, between two worlds and, you know, Roy and Flying Doctors and those types of things. And so, um, and the market will now lean forward and understand that and pay a premium for it. Because why they understand there's new pressures or what is it that's driving that? Well, I think partially it's the, it's the exclusivity of that particular break and but also understanding the context of the drama they're in you know and and the product they're trying to sell so but I suppose really you know to answer your question yes I think there is some ability to look at ad loads and we do it a lot in sport we carry a lot less advertising in sport which and we see that you know through rate and through premium we have the solace breaks between footy you know between a goal on the footy and obviously between overs in the cricket and those you know those, those you know sort of very valuable valuable pieces of real estate people are prepared to pay more for it. And so maybe the world's changed a little bit and, you know, but, you know, we need, we need to innovate. You know, we need to innovate as an industry. We need to drive it and see if we get the support. Well, a lot of US broadcasters are looking at it and doing a lot around that. So uh, although they have, you know, higher minutes, maybe up to 18 minutes an hour an ad sometimes because they, so they, they need to do more than perhaps the Australian market, which sits around 13. So um, balance sheet. So there's been lots of talk around seven, needing to reduce debt to invest, to acquire and so forth. So, your debt sitting at, what, what is it, 400, 300, something like that, um, thereabouts. So how much more do you have to um, reduce to be able to really act like James Wilburton would like to? You know, we're getting there. I mean, we've openly said that, you know, we would like to get our debt down to under two times. We've called it out as one of our key pillars, capital structure and balance sheet, and we're working very hard to, um, you know, to get that, to delever the company. Uh, a primary shareholder and Ryan Stokes said that it would actually be up to you to fund it. There's going to be no support or no, no injection of, of capital coming from um, the parent company or the major shareholder. Was it a clear message to you to go get that cleaned up and you can do what you want, but we're not going to help? Oh, no. I, look, I, I obviously had extensive discussions with Ryan before, you know, stepping into the, into the company. And so, you know, as I said, in day three or four or five or whatever it was when we did the results, this is about transforming. It's about transforming the company. And so that's what I enjoy. You know, I don't, you know, I don't enjoy business as usual. You know, if you said, oh, you just go and do this, James, and run it, you know, that's never been me. So, um, you know, it's a huge opportunity. And um, we've done a lot in 10 weeks, Paul. Big swings too in ad market, you know, so some positivity in the ad market into next year, you know, even if the decline is lower, upside, uh, you know, sort of in share, you know, upside in terms of market, we're pretty excited about um, about 
about next year. How can you to diversify out of broadcast linear and the advertising market for Reliance as a business? Like, do you see a, a, a significant reshifting of Seven's uh, revenue away from the ad market to other interests, or is it always going to be a primarily an ad-driven uh, business? Well, it is today. It is today. It depends on what scale your SVOD play is. But ultimately, you know, we, we are reliant on ad market. Do you see it 60-40 split? Is that reasonable or that crazy? Never say never. <laughs> James Warburton, we'll let you go back and um, reorganise your company. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you in the new year and we'll see what, um, what becomes of your new shows. Congrats. Thanks, Paul. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's moi in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.